Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL podcast. Welcome in, everybody. Divisional round in the books. Possibly flattered to deceive a little bit this weekend. It certainly promised a lot, and there was some entertaining football, um, but certainly a couple of the games didn't necessarily end up being half as close as we would have wanted them to be, and even the ones that were close on the scoreboard weren't necessarily classics, but it sometimes works out that way. We'll be moaning in a couple of weeks' time when we've got no football to watch, that's for sure, so we should certainly enjoy it while it's here. Let's welcome the lads in to review everything that happened and look ahead to Championship Weekend. Steve, welcome in, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, all good. Um I've got to be pleased that the birds got through, but I think there was a. I think this is it's provided probably four of the favourite teams. I might say going into the conference weekend. I think if you picked out four from the beginning of the season, these are probably four that you would have picked, and um, it's exciting. I think to have probably the four best teams in the league like fight it out because it's not always that way in the playoffs. Um, and there was a point yesterday on Sunday when um, when the Eagles were already through and the and the Chiefs were already through with with no disrespect meant to, to New York or to Jacksonville. But I think once them two were through, you had six teams left where at the start of the season you probably think, yeah, these are the six teams that are the best in the league. All the way through the NFL season this year, these are the best six teams in the NFL. And there was a point where all six of them were still left in, which I thought was really, really exciting because that doesn't happen very often. So, <laughs> yeah, really, really um, good to see that these four have made it through. Like you said, some of the games probably weren't great, but um, nevertheless, always fun. And, and we've only got three games left. Can you believe it? Three games of football left. Yeah, they've even deprived us of the Pro Bowl this year. How dare they? But yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll have a little talk about the Pro Bowl possibly next week. We will see. Um, but yeah, Josh, you've um, been in in the chair of the power rankings throughout the course of the season. And as Steve said, these teams, certainly these four, have certainly been in and around your top sort of five throughout most of the season. So yeah, like you said, we, we are certainly down to the cream of the crop, aren't we, mate? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, Steve's hit that on the head. Once you got rid of the uh, the Giants and the Jags, who were more fringing around, you know, top half than than you know the real sort of like power six or eight. Um, you, you know, the, these all slot in very nicely. You've probably got, you know, you've probably got four of the top five or six remaining. Um, going into championship weekend and you know we'll get into it obviously but something which I really liked about this week and it might not have been the best for you know classics but you do have a lot of interesting talking points not just for now but for the off season as well a lot of um, a lot of interesting things actually came out of this weekend when you look at the individual teams concerned especially those that didn't win yeah, absolutely. Like you say, it's start, time to start asking some of those questions for those franchises as their season comes to an end. Let's review them, fellas, then. And let's start back on Saturday. 
Um, it was the 9.30 Saturday evening uh, UK offering the Kansas City Chiefs entering the fray as the number one seed against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, ends up as a 27-20 to 20 win for the Chiefs. But obviously there's plenty of drama throughout it, Steve, particularly obviously when Patrick Mahomes had the, um, the Jags offensive lineman roll up on his ankle. There was obviously a period where it was, you know, will he get back out there? Will he not get back out there? He obviously ultimately ended up gutting out the vast majority of this game bar one successful Chad Henney drive, um, which fair play to Chad Henney after not throwing a ball all year to come in and and obviously sort of pilot an impressive drive the way that he did. Uh, but Mahomes did obviously get back out there and gutted out. Probably asks more questions about him moving forward, though, because sprains and those type of things generally get worse before they get better. And obviously once the adrenaline wears off, who knows what kind of shape he'll be in next week. Um, but it always felt like the Chiefs had this at arm's length, mate. I think that's probably the way I would describe this. Yeah, it was. I mean, one thing I would say is that Jacksonville certainly gave a good account of themselves. I don't think they were definitely better than they were in the first half against um, Los Angeles the week before. Um, and I think, you know, considering the the probably obvious roster differences um, and the fact that this Chiefs team has been a juggernaut all season, I think Jacksonville put up a good account of themselves. And you know, putting twenty points up on this uh, on on this Kansas City team is a uh, is I think is is perfectly reasonable, especially at Arrowhead. Um, and obviously, the whole the whole game, the whole narrative is around that that uh, Patrick Mahomes injury. I think one thing I'd be very quick to dispel. I've seen a few people suggesting that it might have been somehow intentional from Arden Key, and I was just I just thinking to myself, have you ever played any sort of athletics in your in your life? Like the the, the idea that he was getting pushed down and he'd have the ability within seconds, like milliseconds, to like shift his body weight to go on to to. Mahomes' leg. Let's just dispel that pretty quickly. But yeah, nasty looking injury. Like when you've got a guy coming down the side of your bottom half of your leg like that, that's nasty. And it obviously has since been announced that it is a high ankle sprain. Now, interestingly, the high ankle sprains, those are the type of things that usually would keep someone out for somewhere between three and six weeks. Like that's a long-term injury. That's not something you, you sort of want to be coming back from. But <laughs> they very much get the impression that that's not going to be the case with Patrick Mahomes. He's going to try every, every which way he can to be out there next weekend. Just as he did, you didn't want to come off the field. You know, he was visibly like, no, I'm staying out here. And he tried it for a few players until it became obvious that he was really, really struggling to move. And obviously, it shows the, the level of trust that Andy Reid's got in Patrick Mahomes that he was able to just keep him out there and he was able to just throw the ball around. Um, and he even managed to hobble his way over for a first down at one point, you know, and get some yardage. So, um, you know, he made it He made it difficult enough for... for um, Jacksonville. I think he that was at the drive they got the field goal from. Um, so they, you know, they at least got something on the board until he until he came out. And I think he was not he issued an ultimatum by the coaching staff. He said, "You can go back out, but not before you go and get an extra." <laughs> the extras came back negative, but obviously since had an MRI. Um, but you know, I, I think Henny gave a decent enough account of himself. Um, I mean, when you've got. Um, Travis Kelsey, it's almost like having a cheat code down there. Um, and I read uh, earlier that Jacksonville were the worst team in the league for allowing yards to tight ends this season. So it's not the worst position to be in if your quarterback goes down when you've still got Travis Kelsey out there, who I think had the um, one of the best games of a, of a tight end this weekend. and He was, he was really, really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jacksonville, they've got to be proud of where they got to. You know, that might be a bit patronising, but you look at the start of the year, this is this was not a team you're expecting to be going to Jack to Kansas City in the divisional round of the playoffs. Um, 
you know that that fumble at the end of the second quarter will will rue they'll rue that and obviously they threw an interception as well. Like there was times where this game was Jacksonville definitely still had a chance and that time at, at sort of um, when it was twenty seventeen you know there's there's oh, sorry twenty seven seventeen there's a fumble and then the very next position they had there was also an interception like. You've got to be ruining those chances. You cannot give the ball over in playoff situations. So, you know that is the surefire way to lose a playoff game is to turnovers, um, and I think ultimately that just cost them the game. Um, but ultimately, a really good account of themselves. I thought Jay Jones looked good. Like where did Jay Jones come from? I remember when they signed him, thinking, "Oh, that's a lot of money for what is a, a third string wide receiver at best." But Zay Jones, has, Zay Jones has quietly had himself a really good season. Um, and I thought, I thought they, they, you know, they, they did well enough. Uh, I think this was only ever going to be a Kansas City win. I think all eyes now with Kansas City is on to next week and whether or not Mahomes is able to recreate it across a full game, let alone just a, you know, a quarter or two. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just a word on on Travis Kelsey. I mean, his stat line's phenomenal, isn't it? He was targeted seventeen times, which is just which is scary in itself. Fourteen of those he brought in, ninety-eight yards, two touchdowns. Um, but Josh, as we say, you know, there was a lot of talk around, you know, Patrick Mahomes and his mobility and all of that kind of stuff within the game itself. Um, as a Browns fan, I'm sure you agreed. He brought back some PTSD, to be honest, for this very thing happening two years ago. And Chad Henney coming in um, as the, you know, the sort of white knight, so to speak, to save the day. Um, and it seemed as though we were going to get that again. But like I said, I think overall this one probably played to form. I think the Jags have done incredibly well this year. I know you haven't probably been as high on them as, as some of us have been, um, but I think they've got a lot to be confident for. But in terms of the Chiefs moving forward, how, how well, it, it seems like an obvious question, I guess, but you know, how, how much of a difference will having Mahomes even out there at even, say, 50% mean to this team? Oh, it's it's everything. You know, um, this is an offense that runs through Patrick Mahomes. There's there's no doubt about it. You look at their offensive roster, and outside of Travis Kelsey, um, realistically, the it, it, you know it's there's not much going on in terms of the weapon side of it. You know, on on the receiving side, you got Kadarius Tony that you know had a very stop starterish you know, start to his career. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, who, you know, sort of tapered off in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, one of their major performers on the offensive side is Isaiah Pacheco, uh, Pacheco who, um, y- y- you know, is y- y- you know is new and, you know, that, that's really a rushing side of the game, which the Chiefs have not been too heavy on over the you know period of dominance so this changes quite a bit especially when you consider the team that we will be talking about in the moment the bengals and how they were able to keep you know be able to force um the quarterback to go on the run and to have to eke out um to be able to actually eke out the passes etc mahomes is all about his flexibility about his movement you know if if he's got an injury that's going to prevent that against a team that knows how to play Patrick Mahomes, it's a problem. You know, be be under no illusion. You know, we talk about PTSD as Browns fans for that game um, in terms of the Chad Henney. And to be quite honest with you also in terms of the, uh, the sense of hopelessness as well as uh, they were kept in it, but always sort of at arm's length as well. There is a PTSD element to the Chiefs as well, which is that, 
um, the foot injury that Mahomes had definitely played a role in Tampa being able to beat them down at their place in that Super Bowl game that year. Um, are they even able to do that against the Bengals? Because I can tell you right now, the Bengals are a much different proposition to what the uh, to what the Bills were a couple of years back in that game. So, uh, yeah. Trepidation for sure for the uh, Chiefs at the moment. And just to run back on the Jags as well, like you say, they um, they should be looking at this, uh, at not just this game, but also this season with, uh, you know, rose tinted glass. I think that they've, you know, definitely, I, I personally would say outperformed slightly in terms of what they were, just because of the run that they went on in order to actually get there and all the rest of it. But I think that this game was a, understanding as to where the jags are you know they are a they are a good side um sort of a fringe playoff side i think the afc south elevates their status somewhat but you know they they aren't too many pieces away from being a good afc side that you know is a you know is a side of which you would confidently put in that playoff picture year after year um are they at the same sort of um you know, the, the same table as the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, no, but, you know, they are definitely in that, maybe the second table if the table's big enough. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And obviously the, the thing that they've all got in common, and it was mentioned several times this week, he's obviously a young quarterback uh, to build around. So I'm sure the Jags will come again. It feels like the rest of the teams in that division potentially going through a bit of a rebuild, so they'll benefit from that. Um, so we'll wait and see if they come again. But you've teed it up, mate. You've mentioned it a few times. And Steve, I want to say, I know your Eagles, sort of obviously on the scoreboard side of things, um, the most impressive and most dominant performance. But I'm going to say that the Cincinnati Bengals on the road, absolutely destroying the Buffalo Bills in all assets of the game, was probably the most impressive performance of this weekend because I think Philly were big favourites against New York. We'll come on to that game. They obviously well and truly handled their own business and that's all that Philadelphia could do. But I was really impressed with this Bengals performance. Um, you know, Like I say, 27 points to 10, the final score. It never felt as though it was in doubt. They went up 14 zip early. Um, they got 14 points on the board. It felt before that the Bills had even mustered a first down. It was it was so dominant, um, and essentially, mate, they were they, they were brilliant, weren't they? Credit where it's due. They were absolutely fantastic. I thought on Sunday. Absolutely credit to um, credit to the entire uh, Bengals team. They were excellent on both sides of the ball. Um, there's a there's a I think there's a um, there's definitely credit got to be given to. Uh, Lou Anarumo, I think that's how he pronounces uh, his surname, the defensive coordinator for, for Cincinnati, because he's done a wonderful job with that defense. They, um, the, the Bills just had no answer. They had no answers whatsoever. I, I remember watching this game yesterday and, and kept thinking to myself, "Okay, this is the this is Buffalo's drive. This is Buffalo's drive. This is Buffalo's drive." It just never came. The, the Buffalo defense had no answer for Joe Burrow. They had just no answer for him. Um, Joe Mixon had the freedom of the park, pretty much, you know, 105 yards, 20 carries, averaging five and a bit, you know, one touchdown. He, you know, when you've got that kind of production, you're running, you keep feeding him. Um, 172 yards on the ground overall from, from Cincinnati. They could not stop the run, Buffalo. Um, but on top of that, you know, Jamar Chase, Hayden Hurst, uh, even... Um, 
T. Higgins contributing, and Tyler, Tyler Boyd as well. Like they just spread the ball around. There was never a point when this game looked like Cincinnati were going to lose. There was never a point where you felt, yeah, this is the Bengals. Are, sorry, the Bills are going to bring this back. Um, and I think it's time. I think it's time that we need to start having the conversation about the fact that Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Josh Allen, because Josh Allen gets all the plaudits. He gets all of the, you know, he had that amazing season. I think his third year in the league. Um, and, and 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 he is no doubt a, a top tier quarterback, but Joe Burrow is like he's like Iceman, isn't he? From Top Gun, he just he's so cool and calm and collected. There's that clip of him throwing that warm up throw in the in the snow when he does that little spin as he does it. Like the guy just oozes cool, um, but he's on the field. He's he's never flustered. He never looks like for a guy that in his first season of the league took an enormous amount of sacks and had that horrible knee injury as well. He looks like he's never phased by anything. He's so calm and collected. Um, he's able to just drive a, a, a play, a, sorry, drive the team down the field and put points on the board at will. Um, yeah, there was never a point where this Buffalo team looked like they had an answer. And I think it's time that we elevate Joe Bro to the status that he needs, which is, I think, definitely in the top sort of top five, top three quarterbacks in the league because he deserves it. Um, and credit to this to this Cincinnati team for for what they've done and the pieces they've put around him and and sort of surrounding him with that talent. But I think one final word on, on Josh Allen and the, and the Bills, you know, questions now obviously are going to be asked and there's obviously going to be a long off season for Buffalo. There's, they're a team that's been through an awful lot as well. Like, let's not forget some of the adversity this whole team's had to handle this year um, with obviously some of the weather happening in Buffalo, the obvious Damar Hamlin incident. Um, there was the awful um, shooting earlier in the year in Buffalo as well. Like This this team in the city's had to put up with an awful lot this year, so commend them all for that and how far they've come. But you have to start asking questions when the furthest they've got in the playoffs is the divisional round, um, apart from one appearance in the championship, um, which they lost. Like, you know, when you've got Josh Allen and the team around him, how can you possibly not be making a Super Bowl. And here we are yet again talking about how this Bills has let the Bills have let us down. We talked earlier in the year about how this is Super Bowl or bust for the Bills. All three of us said it and we all agreed at the start of the season it's Super Bowl or bust. Anything less than that is a disappointment. And here we are, they're out in the divisional round again with a disappointing loss in their own not in their own stadium, in their own weather conditions as well. Yeah. It snows in Buffalo a lot. Like they surely that should be something that they can handle. Um, and yeah, the defense just couldn't handle it. Ex- excellent performance by Cincinnati. Excellent. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up, man. We'll probably maybe talk about it as a wider point in a minute because obviously we've avoided the the neutral venue for the um, the championship game. So we'll, we'll maybe come on to what the league might look to do in the future with regards to weather, influencing games, and all that type of stuff. But Josh, let's, let's focus a little bit on the the Bills um, for the time being. We'll we'll talk about the Bengals and we'll flip it to sort of look at the um, the upcoming game this weekend in a moment. But we, we've talked throughout this season, and it seems to have been a familiar thing when it comes to the Bills throughout the last three or four years. And I want to talk about the running game or the lack of running game because, yet again, we've got into sort of January and February football, the important time of the year, you know, when it really makes the the big difference. And, you know, Steve just mentioned the weather there. That weather's all well and good if you've got a really good ground and pound running attack and you're really physical and you can dominate and, and win in the trenches. The Bills lost this game in the trenches on the weekend. 
Everybody expected that the Bengals outline would crumble. There was absolutely zero pass rush generated from the um, the Bills. They only got to, to Joe Burrow once with this depleted outline. Obviously, the weather's going to impact that because it's going to mean more difficult footing and all of that kind of stuff. So that kind of nullified anything there. But the Bills have really struggled to generate a rush without Von Miller. Um, obviously, it was unfortunate that he picked up an injury, but there's they've been really nothing without. They've got nothing from a running game. Um, and the one thing that's been ultra-reliable, of course, has been that connection between Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, and even that was sort of seen to be crumbling last night. I mean, I thought I thought Stefan Diggs was bang out of order, and it was a real poor look, to be honest, um, is, is my take on that. Um, but, you know, worrying signs, really, for a roster that's so, so talented um, that, again, as Steve's just alluded to there, they've come up short, and they're, again, in a division that had some really, really good teams in it this year. You know, it's not going to be an easy path back to the playoffs. You never know when your next opportunity is going to come. And this is another one that's come and passed them by. Exactly. And the question starts to become how small has their Super Bowl window become? You know, how what are we actually looking at now? Because, like you say, the running game still isn't a factor. They They... I think that they took good strides this year in trying to get the running game to be a part of it. But like you say, the offensive line is, you know, it's average at best and it's poor often. Now, a lot of what Josh Allen does is, you know, either gets, he is able to get the ball out quickly or he's able to scramble around in order to make stuff work. You know, it's great from a quarterback perspective and you're able to marvel at it, but it shows that there is a wider problem at stake. Running game, where is it? Um, I'd actually go a little further in terms of yesterday, in terms of where Buffalo lost the game, and that was literally under their own footing. Um, while the Bengals seem to be on their toes and being able to, you know, treat the game pretty much as if it was played in standard conditions. Buffalo seemed to be a step late every single time. And it was the most um, obvious when it came to the running game. I was pretty sure that every time they ran, it took them a good step or two extra in before they'd actually, you know, took the ball from Josh Allen. So, you know, by that point, the um, the Bengals D-line was able to get through. Um, also, if you look at the other side of the line, like you say, the trenches for the Bengals won it yesterday, of which is an odd thing to say about the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, the Bengals don't really win in the trenches, and yet, you know, they, they won comfortably yesterday. You know, they had half an O-line out with injuries, and yet this has got to be one of the best O-line performances I've seen um, you know, from any team this season, uh, the Bengals just ripped them apart on the line, um, especially offensive line. Joe Burrow probably had more time than he ever has had, um, you know, and I was expecting them to get absolutely pounded on the, uh, you know, with the offensive line, especially with the potential for, you know, stacking boxes for runs, etc. So, you know, massive issues there. The, the wider question for the Bills becomes how can you keep this together now like you say fragmentation with digs um you know potentially you know big contracts coming up soon um as well and needing to be able to stay within cap and all sorts we all know that realistically a, 
the cycle that the NFL likes to bring about means that if you don't get it sorted within four years, then it gets harder and harder. If we're coming, are we coming into year four? Is this year four for the Bills now? Um, I think this is the third year of the Bills being good. So I think we've got one more year before the general cycle of the NFL comes into play. And then that just adds pressure. Like you said, Sean, you know, the AFC East is, you know, it's a lot better than what we thought it was going to be this season. You know, the Dolphins, the um, the Patriots and the Jets all looked good. You know, all they have to do is start chipping away at the Bills for interdivision wins. And then, you know, playoffs becomes a concern. So, yeah, that this is why I liked this weekend. You know, questions like this come up. This is now such a pivotal, pivotal off-season for the Bills, and no one expected that. No one expected that at all. Yeah, it's like you say, for, for the longest time, they, they really did seem like the darlings of the season, but it kind of faded away. Um, I think if you look back now, the last few weeks of the regular season, they had a few struggles to get over the line. I'm not sure Josh Allen's ever fully recovered from any sort of issues that he had when he picked up that injury. Um, and yeah, like I say, just a disappointing end to the season. Steve, let's turn our attention then to the championship game. It's a rematch of last year's um, where the Chiefs will host the Bengals. Um, I'll say about the hosting of the Bengals because obviously it does bring up this sort of bit of a bone of contention about the fact that the Bengals had that game cancelled and and all of those kind of things. Obviously, we could have potentially been playing in a neutral venue had it been the Bills. But just on that, and you mentioned about the weather, I've, I've got to go. I've always chuckled, and I say this as a fan of a team in cold weather environments, that fans always seem to say, oh, well, you know, they should be used to it. They, they can have the advantage of playing in this weather. I've got to be honest, I've never known it to be an advantage. It just seems to be, to be the ultimate equaliser. Um, so that, that gives nobody an advantage and to be honest often it, it actually sort of ruins the game as a spectacle um, so I'm, I'm kind of glad from that point of view that um, that we're not playing in a you know snow-filled um, environment mind you in saying that there was snow in Kansas City this week so who knows what the weather will be doing but <laughs> it's um, it is at Kansas City mate but the, the big question here mate and I know you want to come in and possibly have a, a few comments on the Bills before we turn our attention fully to the to this game, but obviously the Bengals, regardless of whether Mahomes plays or not, have had the Chiefs' number in recent times. The last three games that they've played have all ended in Cincinnati victories. They've all ended in three-point Cincinnati victories, so you know, it's by no means a one-sided rivalry. The games are always tight, they're always close and exciting. But Cincinnati have certainly had Kansas City's number in recent times, and they will be absolutely full of confidence, won't they, mate? Absolutely. I, you know, dare I say that Cincinnati and certainly Joe Burrow are almost licking their lips at this matchup. Uh, they're the one team in the league that have had the, the, the cheat sheet to beat Kansas City in the last few years. And, and they'll be loving the idea that they can go into Kansas City's backyard and 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 potentially do them again and with a with an injured Patrick Mahomes as well like it's almost a shame that Mahomes is going to be injured because it would have been great for a neutral to see a shootout between these two because I think it would be a classic um you know I think it would bring back you know the the vibes of that um the game between Buffalo and Kansas City is it last year or the year before where they had that mental fourth quarter um and then they wouldn't and Kansas City won in overtime and I think it'll be it'll be it would be air of that game, but it obviously is not going to be. And it's um, you remains to be seen how uh, Kansas City deal with the fact that, that Patrick Mahomes injured. Does he play the whole game? Do, do they bring him out for certain 
passages of play, like what, who knows how they're going to handle that. Um, but you know, you look at this, and I think there's there's already sort of um, some um, angles you can look at it in terms of Joe Burrow, and obviously he's in a he's in a contract year, so he's going to want an extension after this season. Um, and what money is he going to get? Is he going to look at you know? Is he the type of guy that's going to look at that Patrick Mahomes contract of ten years for five hundred million and say, "Well, I've beaten him three times, potentially four times, to, to get you to Super Bowl, so I want more than that." You know, so there's definitely that conversation to be had. Um, I think you look at uh, how good that Cincinnati defense was and how they were able to just stop Buffalo. You know, um, Kansas City off, obviously offers a little bit more on the ground, as we saw from uh, Patchcore's Josh Shedd, um, who had, I thought had a really, really good game, by the way. He's, he's, he's... In terms of how the um, how the Bengals handled it, so um, one thing I would say, just sort of linking that back into Buffalo, and just last word on Buffalo before we sort of go on to the, the next game is, um, I'm going to steal a point that was made by uh, Ben Solak, one of the um, NFL writers, um, and he made a really really good point that the Bills' problems are not just are not just overcoaching and, and Josh Allen trying to be the hero and trying to make all these hero players. The Bills' problems, I think, stem from the fact that they haven't drafted a, a, a pro bowler in four years. Four years of drafts and no pro bowlers. And you look at the um, the um, supplies that they've put on the defensive line as well. In 2019, they drafted, drafted Ed Oliver, ninth overall defensive tackle. But then a second round in 2020, drafted another defensive end in Epineza. And then in 2021, they drafted uh, Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham, first and second round. That's four big pieces on the defensive line. And yesterday, between the four of them, they got zero sacks and one uh, quarterback hit. That's it between the four of them. That's appalling production. Absolutely appalling. Not even a, not even a quarterback hit or even like a, a tackle for loss or anything like that. Nothing between all four of them. That's really, really poor investment into that defensive line. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if this offseason some positional coaches pay some prices, you know, like a defensive line coach or offensive line coach or something like that. Because obviously whatever they're doing is not working. And when draft, when you fail to draft well, that eventually will come back and bite you. Because as as LA proved this year, as the Rams proved, you can't just keep trading and paying for people and expecting it all to come off. So are Buffalo heading down that route? They've just given Von Miller that enormous contract. Um, you know, do they need to start thinking about, well, we need to draft a bit better this time because we can't keep relying on the old guys to get it done because we keep losing the divisional round and something's got to give. Yeah, no, I agree. And like you say, Von Miller, you know, let's hope he comes back fit and healthy. Um, you know, because that's obviously a terrible injury for him to have to try and come back and overcome. But they certainly looked a different team without him in there. Josh, your view on the championship game? Like I say, it's a strange one because Chiefs at home, Chiefs the number one seed, etc., etc. But I don't know what the bookies on make with this, and obviously they'll probably wait to hear on the Patrick Mahomes injury situation, but it almost feels with recent history that the Bengals should almost possibly be, be favourites for this, dare I say. Yeah, so the bookies have got this as Chiefs favoured by one, of which when you consider that the Chiefs are at home, then realistically on a neutral field, the Bengals would be favoured by two. 
um you know and that is probably bang on um you know you know Ketheris Paribus I'd have the Bengals winning this game Mahomes you know it it looks like unless he regresses badly Mahomes will play um he does have that high ankle sprain but according to Andy Reid you know there's no stopping Mahomes from playing I'm sure that they will you know create a you know that they'll create a mobility reduced playbook for Mahomes to be able to uh, run this Sunday as to whether or not it will work you know that's that's another matter um you know the Bengals have had the uh, the Chiefs number for you know for the last three games I think it is I think the Bengals are three and zero against Chiefs currently and you know that that will show you as to just how difficult it is if they can I'm unsure as to whether or not yesterday's game between the Bills and the Bengals was some sort of, you know, chip on the shoulder, maybe because of the fact that they couldn't complete the game a couple of weeks back, maybe because, um, you, you know, everyone was counting them out and talking about this, you know, neutral um, neutral field championship game, of which was way overhyped for what it was in any case. Um, but, you know, there definitely seemed to be, especially with uh, Joe Burrow's press conference, not press conference, but, you know, thoughts after the game, it definitely seemed to be something of which was on their mind at the very least. And they definitely played angry. Would they be doing the same with the Chiefs? They they always seem to get up for it in any case. This could well come down to coaching. You know, Andy Reid has got more than enough Bengals tape now. You know, they know how they play them. They know how they, they can see how the Bengals play in order to beat the Chiefs. You know, can they execute that? Can can they identify how and stop them from doing it? It's what Bill Belichick was always good at. Whenever he came against someone that seemed to know what they were doing, he would then flip the script. You know, they need to be able to do that against it. Otherwise, you know, let's say for the next three, four years, Chiefs and Bengals are at the top of the tree until they can actually beat the Bengals and sort of, you know, cast it aside, you know, is there any point to them getting this high up in the regular season? They're always going to come back to the Bengals in any case. So, uh, yeah, massive, um, massive one there. And one thing of which uh, to just bring on to the Bengals um, as a potential caveat to and actually just more of a uh, as a as an addendum to the need for good coaching uh the buffalo bills almost rigidly stuck to zone coverage yesterday even though at one point i think it was during the end of the first it was coming to the end of the first half every every time bar 2 that they lined up in man they were able to get an incompletion. I think it was like two, um, two versus seven. Um, that when they were in man, when they went in zone, it was something like twelve from thirteen that they were able to complete. You know, it's it's not difficult. Um, you, you know, when you start looking at that, and they rigidly stuck to zone, they seem to think that that was the way forward, even with the conditions and all the rest of it. So I think that the Chiefs need to look need to outcoach the Bengals in order to to get this because I think that the talent I think the Bengals are the more talented team going into this. 
Yeah, like I say, they certainly probably deserve to be up there in terms of the conversation. I think he was sort of being recognised on the broadcast yesterday as well. The teams probably, well, people still possibly a little bit underselling how good the Bengals have been in recent years. And, you know, while our man's away, probably a little bit guilty. That's probably a little bit of Browns bias coming into that. Yeah. But I think that's as much as anything because the Browns have had a good record against the Bengals, ironically. But, um, yeah, the Bengals certainly flexing their muscles. And, and the worrying thing is for the rest of the league, I've just had a quick look through the roster. Outside of the punter, Kevin Huber, who's 37, there is nobody on the Bengals roster that has made significant contributions this team over the age of 29. That is frightening. This is a young, young team that is really going places. Obviously, they'll have to do some wheeling and dealing to get sort of everybody signed and all the rest of it. It's obviously never as straightforward as that, but yeah, they've got a really good young core to work around. Um, but the Chiefs, you know, obviously will be... Up for it, um, and you would certainly never ever write off Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Andy Reid, I think, has now become the first coach to coach ten different playoff wins um, with two separate franchises. His previous franchise, of course, Steve, your boys, the Philadelphia Eagles, absolutely took care of business. Um, you said last week that when we was talking about the game, you wasn't a hundred percent sure. You know, you got a little bit of nervousness around you, but obviously you've really handled the Giants earlier on in the season. Obviously they played that sort of final week of the season, which, you know, nobody should have read too much into and we alluded to that. This was more true to form from the previous encounter and it was over as a contest, mate, really, let's be honest, in the first half, wasn't it? 28 points to nil up uh, and then it was essentially cruise control the rest of the way, mate. You must have been thrilled in the early hours of Sunday morning. <laughs> yes, it was very much worth staying up for. Um, I don't mind that if that's going to happen every time we've got to stay up for a one fifteen kickoff. Um, yeah, this was one of those games where you know any of the fears that you had going into it were extinguished within the first sort of few seconds. Um, it, the Eagles were dominant from start to finish. There was never a point in this game where they ever looked like they were going to lose. Um, it's it's one of those games where I don't know if it was because the Eagles were so good or the Giants were so bad. Um, and I don't mean to sort of, you know, to, to, to beat them while they're down, but the Giants were dreadful. They really were. Um, if Saquon Barkley in the fourth quarter had a 39-yard run, so if you take that off in the garbage time run, he had eight carries for 22 yards. That's how little effect Saquon Barkley had on the game. And, and no, he looked really good the week before against the Vikings. And, and he had absolutely no impact on the game whatsoever. And I think there is a certainly, you know, usually if you win the toss, you want to you wanna receive second half. So you want to defer. You want to make the, their offense go out of the field so you can get the balls to start the second half. So you can, you know, maybe score points at the end of the first and get the ball in the second. But... The Giants did that and they gave the Eagles the ball. And I thought in this home stadium, the Eagles home stadium, when they haven't played for a while and they've got a point to prove, I just thought that was a bit of a mistake. And at the moment, definitely there's teams around the league where get up early, look at look at what the, the Bengals did, get up early, get a couple of scores on the board, and then you've got to make that team come back and fight to get back in the game. And that's what New York did and it just didn't work at all like second or third player of the game um, Jalen Hurts found uh, Devonta Smith for like a 40 yard completion and from there from there onwards you knew that this was going to be an Eagles win because the Giants just had no answer on, on defence whatsoever the running game was excellent Kenneth Gainwell fifth round pick last year getting 112 yards on the ground averaging just shy of 10 a carry 
268 rushing yards overall. Jalen Hurts looked calm, composed. He, he, it was a, a pretty straightforward game for him. Um, spreading the ball around, they had three different touchdowns on the ground, including one for Hurts. Um, and Dallas got it. Actually, didn't get as involved as I thought he was going to. Only 58 yards of five receptions. Um, but again, the first touchdown went to him, and, and he had a, he had a great game. But I think it just showed the, the golfing class between the two teams. Um, I said it before. You know, I, I never wanted to get too ahead of myself beforehand, just in case, because you just never know if the Giants team were going to show up full of energy, and they just didn't. Um, but I think they show that there's just a golfing class in terms of these two rosters. The Giants roster just couldn't hold up against the Eagles. And when it came to it, and when it came to the punch, the Eagles got things done. And it sets up a really, really intriguing matchup next week. But I think one thing I will say on the Giants before I hand over is um, this was Daniel Jones's chance to be in the spotlight against a team that were obviously better than them. Um, you know, the Vikings have been sort of potentially pretenders all season and they put them to the sword and he played really well last week but this week he was the absolute opposite of that and it's going to be really interesting like you said Josh about about storylines that appear at the end of the season this is going to be another one for New York because they've now got three years of tape of Daniel Jones being bang average and below and they've got one year of tape of Daniel Jones being above average and, and at times pretty good and, and, and certainly passable as a as a franchise quarterback but do you want to pay this guy the going rate of $40 million a year or whatever it's going to be, which is what they're going to have to do just to tick over? Is it another Kirk Cousins problem, a guy that's good enough to get you a winning record and good enough to get you into the playoffs, but isn't good enough to win you playoff games? That's going to be another issue that I think that the Giants will have to contend with if they re-sign him. But yeah, it just wasn't a good game for the Giants. I sort of felt sorry for them at the end when it was 28 zip at half time. I thought to myself, what's the point of the second half? Like, what is the point of us even playing? <laughs> like, I was just like, let's just end the game now. What's the point? Like, this game is over. Um, but yeah, really good statement. And it had been a while since Philadelphia had played like that. Like I said, Jalen Hurts had been out injured. You had the two Gardner Minshew games that they lost you know, pretty dramatically. They hadn't really put a team to the sword since December. So it was really good to see Philadelphia do that and definitely rekindled my faith. This is one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, to be honest, it's almost one of those, I've brought the box score up, I've brought the stats up, but I almost could have sort of copied and pasted anything from the first half of the season because Jalen Hurts did what he had to do, 16 at 24, only 154 yards. Now, not exactly a stellar day through the air, but efficient, couple of touchdowns, 112 rating. But it was obviously all about that ground game again, Josh. Three different rushing touchdowns. Hurts getting one game well, and Boston Scott, the other one, Miles Sanders, had himself a nice game as well with 90 yards rushing. So there was just rushes from all angles when it comes to the Eagles. Um, and obviously, you've got those massive threats in terms of the receiving game as well with Brown and Devonta Smith. Dallas Goddard as well. So, look, they're, they're a really good rounded team, really intrigued about the championship match. We'll come on to that. But quickly, mate, on New York, we said last week Daniel Jones had almost played that perfect game, and as Steve alluded to, it just didn't happen in this one. You know, outside of Richie James, nobody caught more than one ball, um, you know, which, which tells you all that you need to know. And we've said all year, really, they probably feel as though they've overperformed. I think, you know, massive props to Brian Dable, who's, who's seemingly installed a real good culture there. And, you know, and fingers crossed for them that they've got the right guy moving forward, certainly from the coaching perspective. But it is an intriguing one, isn't it, the Daniel Jones one? Because I don't know how much he thinks he's worth in the market, but... 
surely you, you don't want to hamstring yourself if you're New York and overpay for this guy because you sort of look at other free aging quarterbacks that might be out there. You know, Jacoby Brissett's one that springs to mind that you'd probably get for a lot cheaper. Okay, you're only going to get him on a one or two year deal. Um, but you're probably going to get comparable play, if not slightly better, because of the veteran presence. So, interesting off-season for New York, mate. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a really valid point in terms of the QB carousel. That carousel is stacked this year. You know, there's there's so many that are going in on a free agency basis, and there are so many that are looking for deals to be wound up. And in terms of just how big it could be, it could even encompass QBs like Lamar Jackson. You know, we don't know how big it's going to get. And it might well be that, you know, some teams which you think the quarterback position is wound up, um, you know, might not be the case. The Miami Dolphins might have to look away from Tua simply because he can't stay on the field. Um, you, you know, how, how big does it get? You might well get something along the lines of 12 to 14 on the market in a year where the NFL draft is providing maybe two proper QB prospects in the first round. So, you know, you've got a perfect storm here of which will do one of two things. It will either drive down offers. It, actually, no, it will almost certainly will drive down offers for QBs that are currently with teams because they'll threaten the carousel. You know, they, they can go and, like you said, they can go and find somebody who can do a job for a year or two and push the question down the line. Um, and then also potentially inflate the offers of those in free agency. Um, you know, I'm looking at maybe like the Derek Cars of the world. You know, I think that he'll get a fair few offers. You know, Tom Brady if he decides to take the out and go elsewhere, you know, you know, I imagine that he might have quite a few suitors. Um, San Francisco could end up trading Brock Purdy at this point. You know, if he ends up putting in a good enough, uh, you know, if he can continue this on next week, I know we're going to come on to it in a bit. I realize he didn't have the best of games yesterday, but you know, he could well either force his way into a conversation with San Francisco as to his future with them, or he he might actually be a fantastic prospect to go and get some picks for San Francisco moving forward if someone is desperate enough at the QB position. So, yeah, the QB carousel is going to be a really interesting one. New York is definitely not immune to those questions in terms of this game. You know, it's already been said, really, that the Giants sort of played their way out of it early. The Eagles do what they do well, which is stamp on people early. Um, you know, and they didn't actually let go this time. They just kept the foot down, of which is, you know, a hallmark performance of the Eagles this season. When they can keep that foot down, the defense in the first half is what won it for them. Really, the offensive side was comfortable, but not earth shattering but then again no you'd rather it not be the case you know if you can win 38-7 with a non-shattering offense going on then you know by all means keep it rolling there were no injury concerns or anything like that going into the 49ers game then uh, I don't think that Steve could have asked for anything more really going into uh, going into a Sunday morning knowing that it's all wrapped up without any concerns so yeah, all good for the Eagles. Giants have got a good future, but this offseason is going to be one that has its own questions. It 
strikes me a lot. And Sean, you're probably able to back me up here. Feels like the Browns two years ago. The Giants roster feels like the Browns two years ago a lot. Yeah, look, I can understand where you're coming from in terms of the comparisons. I think, like you said, the, the interesting thing next year will be can they cope with probably some extended expectations? I think they've been a bit of a Cinderella story this year, but obviously, you know, we know that there's probably going to be six or seven teams that made the playoffs this year that won't next year. It just always recycles itself that way. The Giants feel like one of those teams that could quite easily end up a few games back from the playoffs if things don't work out their way. Um, certainly a good season, much more than they would have expected going into it. Um, and as you say, the Eagles do look very much like um, a dominant force as they have done all year. But they are going to have to obviously contend with the juggernaut that has been the San Francisco 49, as you just mentioned it there. Still being steered, as things stand, by Brock Purdy, still undefeated. Um, and a strange game, this one, Steve, against the Cowboys. It ends 19-12, to 12, which is a strange scoreline in itself. I did double-check whether it was scoring Army, but I don't believe it was. Um, but, yeah, just a strange game. It, it always felt as though the 49ers were just about at arm's length, I would say. It always felt like they just had another gear that they could find if they needed to. A um, couple of killer interceptions from Dak Prescott. Um, at, at crucial times, um, nothing going on the ground. Tony Pollard with a with a terrible injury, just as he's about to hit free agency, comes out. I think they sort of said yesterday it was an ankle injury, but I think it's been diagnosed now as a fractured fibula. Um, so he's expected to be a few months to recover. So I mean that's that's horrendous timing. The Dallas defense kept this tight. To be fair to them, the Dallas defense certainly did its part. If you'd have said that Christian McCaffrey was only going to go for 57 dual purpose yards and that was going to be on 18, uh, sorry, 16 touches, you'd have absolutely snapped anybody's hand off. So, strange game, really. The 49ers quite on top of it. Always felt comfortable enough, but, you know, certainly by no means a stellar performance, man. Yeah, this was a really weird one to begin. It was like both teams were really nervous. Um, you know, you look at the first few drives, uh, San Francisco start the game with a three and out with getting three yards tall. Um, and then Dallas don't go much better with five players um, before they punt. Then San Francisco for seven players and they punt. You think, OK, guys, we're starting to get a few more players in here. And then Dax throws that first interception, which gets San Francisco on the board. So Dak gets the ball back and he actually drives down the field, pretty good drive together, and they score a touchdown. Only for Brett Meyer to miss the extra point again. Oh my god, you couldn't have written it. And in in practice, and this was obviously shared around a lot of a lot of um, social media and such, so people have probably seen it. But in in the practice before the game, he missed two extra points. I think it was about forty yarders or field goal. Sorry, in practice before the game kicked off, wide right, and Jerry Jones went out on the field to talk to him because yeah, sure, Jerry, that's a good idea, isn't it? The owner going out onto the field. To talk to the kicker that's not going to drag everyone's attention to him is it oh my god so yeah you couldn't have written that but then from that point i think um the san francisco defense just sort of took hold um and 
that defense, man, is that's what really scares me about next week is that San Francisco defense is so good. Fred Warner is such a good linebacker. The guy is insane. He's, his ability to uh, in both pass protection and pass rushing is unbelievable. He's such a good player and he terrifies me. The whole San Francisco linebacking core terrifies me because he's so good at stopping the run. And um, yeah, the first half was pretty was uh, was pretty severe. You know, ended nine uh, six to San Francisco, and um, and they just never quite got anything going. Dallas on the offensive side, I think it's fair to say that Dak had a, a pretty miserable game. I think some people have said that even just like average quarterback player probably would have got Dallas a win in that game, um, and he didn't even give them that. He had, you know, you look at his stat line: twenty three of thirty seven, two hundred six yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, two pretty cost interceptions as well. Um, with a QBR of, of 51.5. Um, he was only sacked once, which is interesting. So the Dallas offensive line sort of played their part in it. Um, the first interception he threw to, to Lenore, that was an incredible catch. Um, and he's been a guy that, that a lot of teams have been targeting as sort of like the weak link in the San Francisco secondary. But yeah, he's come back with back-to-back interceptions in back-to-back weeks. Like, maybe stop targeting the guy. Maybe he's actually pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think this game was more about uh, Dallas's downfalls rather than San Francisco's. Again, Brock Purdy doesn't play a great game. And again, I think Shanahan's trying to hide him in this scheme and, and use the fact that they've got George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey and just get the ball to those guys and, and make it easy. I think it was a very conservatively schemed game by Shanahan. They didn't try try and do anything too complex. They tried to keep it easy for Brock Purdy. Once again, he doesn't have a great game, but once again, the San Francisco team come out on top. They are now, is it? I think it's a 12-game winning streak with eight of those coming with Purdy under centre. Like, and that's what really worried me about this game is that regardless of who won either between Dallas or San Francisco, you either had Dallas, which is the old school rivalry coming to Philadelphia with Dak, and you just know that the writing's on the wall with that one, or you've got San Francisco coming to town, which means if they have, that means Brock Purdy's won eight in a row, which just shows you how good this roster is when he's playing, obviously, as poorly as he is every week. So... Yeah, they got it done. It wasn't a pretty game, but again, you know, like some people in the in the playoffs, it doesn't matter how you do it as long as you get it done. Um, and one, one we, we talked about the weather earlier, Sean. How much of a difference was this game compared to the snowball in Buffalo? They put into the scenes of uh, of the bright, nice California sunshine when they're about to kick off in San Francisco, thinking, "Oh God, if Josh Allen was in there, I'm sure he'd be throwing some more touchdowns." <laughs> Yeah, no, it certainly was a bit of a contrast, mate, as you say. Yeah, and, and look, we, we, we often talk about things when the offensive side of the ball doesn't necessarily click, but I've said for a few weeks, Josh, that the reason I really fancied the 49ers to go on this run was all to do with that defence. And as you say, you know, Fred Warner continues to be a standout. So I think, you know, Nick Bowser has had an incredible season. Um, and, and as you say, just, just everything on that front seven really applies pressure. They'll obviously look to try and close down that Eagles running game. Um, Dallas has been a little bit feast or famine in the run game for me all season long. And it was one of those weeks where you know Zeke obviously ended up having more rushing attempts than Pollard because of that injury. But I mean, Zeke has lost all of his dupes, hasn't he? Let's be honest. 10 carries, 26 yards for Ezekiel Elliott. Um, yeah. Tony Pollard, when he was in the game, was ineffective. Twenty-two carries, sorry, twenty-two yards off six carries. You know, so there was nothing going in that run game at all. You know, the 49ers defense continues to look elite. 
And to be fair, you know, when Brock Purdy needed to do something, I thought he did it well, you know, in terms of, you know, that connection with George Kittle. And there was a couple of plays, you know, in particular down the stretch that, you know, you can see there is a trust there, I think, from Shanahan. I know Steve just said he feels as though he's been hidden a little bit, but I think when he's needed to make a play or when he's been needed to make a throw, he's at least been trusted to attempt to make it, which sometimes isn't necessarily always the case. There was a couple that, you know, were sort of, you know, 15, 16 yarders, which don't sort of all of a sudden jump out off the stat sheet. But, you know, when you're looking at third and third and medium, third and long, those kind of 12 to 15 yarders can sometimes be game winners. And, and Purdy seems to make enough of those um, for this offence to continue to just consistently move the chains. Absolutely. And, you know, just by looking at the box score, and you could see it if you were watching it as well, Brock Purdy out through Dak Prescott, you know, that says quite a lot when you consider as to who Dak Prescott is and, you know, as to who he was supposed to be for this Dallas side. So when you look at it just on the face of that, you know, Purdy's doing more than enough um, to be able to keep the train rolling. And Dallas just did not have the answers to, even though they have more than enough weapons, you know, this double headed monster in, at rush, um, at running back, like you say, Sean, impotent. Ezekiel Elliott is now just a shadow of his former self. Tony Pollard, who you know was is supposed to be the new answer, barely getting off uh, the ground. You know, an average of three point seven a carry, and just not being given the carries. And then it's a case of. You know, why are you throwing it so much? That Prescott had 37 attempts yesterday, completing just 23 of them. You know, the, the definition of insanity is doing things over and over again, expecting a different result. And it just seemed to be that, you know, the 49ers had their number on it. You know, if Pollard's getting you almost four yards to carry, go for it. You know, I felt like the running game wasn't allowed to even take shape. But no, instead, pretty much the only, you know, correlation that seemed to work for Dallas was Prescott to C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb got 117 yards off 10 receptions yesterday. You know, that's all they had. And it's it feels almost like the same old story with the Cowboys where they shoot themselves in the foot a lot. Um, you know, you look at last year's game um, against the 49ers, same point. Just seemed to be that everything they did was shooting themselves in the foot, including punting into their own Jumbotron, which is just hilarious. Um, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, who can forget that one, eh? Um, but, uh, you know, that the Jerry Jones talking to the kicker gave me the same sort of vibes that they get in their own way. And it almost seems purposeful. Um, so, you know, you just look at these individual factors. They seem to out, they, they outcoach themselves by the looks of it. Tried to put too much trust into one particular thing. It didn't work out. San Francisco's defense is too clever to let you do that. And they got their just desserts. And, you know, now the Cowboys can add the fact that they lost to a third stringer as part of it. Yeah, and, and Steve, I'll get your thoughts on on, on Dallas as obviously a divisional rival, but it, it almost feels like the absolute worst case and almost inevitable scenario that they've ended up finding themselves in here that they've probably done enough that Mike McCarthy will get brought back, which you would argue possibly isn't the greatest thing in terms of the long term. 
their best running back now is the one with the fractured fibula, but they will surely be burnt from the fact that they paid Zeke all that money and he's done nothing really but hamstring the rest of the roster building since they gave him that contract. So actually, do they really want to pay um, Pollard is questionable. I thought, and you know, and you can look back now, they obviously expected an awful lot from Michael Gallup to step up as the wide receiver too when they got rid of Amari Cooper for, for a bag of peanuts, essentially, to the Cleveland Browns. That's got to go down as one of the worst trades that was made this year when you consider some of the um, draft capital that was exchanged for other players. So it didn't really feel like Dallas got good value for the Amari Cooper trade. Um, and they've got a lot of people, mate, that are going to be free agents coming up as well. Um, you know, so that it's again, I know we keep saying this about all these teams that seemingly have crashed and burned at this stage, but it's a big, big off season for Dallas, and there's a lot of questions that need answers to. Yeah, and, and and trying to be not biased about it all, but what must be really frustrating for Dallas fans is that they've actually had a pretty decent couple of drafts recently. Like they've picked up some really good talent. Like you know, uh, Trayvon Diggs is turning into a pretty talented cornerback. Um, obviously, Mika Parsons. You know, people had question marks around him, but he's turned out to be he's turned out to be really really effective sort of multi tool on the defense. You know, Tyler Smith's been excellent at left tackle. He was a diamond in the rough that they've picked up. So they've had these these drafts where they've picked up these players that have actually come in and contribute to the first team, but they just make crazy decisions in terms of the of the roster management and 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 it, you know and and as most Dallas fans will tell you, it all falls down to Jerry. And and I'd be remiss not to point out some of the awful stats that Dallas fans won't appreciate me mentioning, but we can't not mention them. Since since 1995, Dallas have not been to the championship game, not the Super Bowl, the championship game, the NFC. Every single team bar three, which is I think the Lions and the Commanders has been there at least once. Philadelphia, since 2000, have been to now, this is will be their seventh championship game appearance, which is the most in the NFC. So if you're a Dallas fan since 1995, you've watched your team go to zero NFC Championship games. Meanwhile, your arch rivals down the road have been to seven and then two Super Bowls on top of that. Like, that's that's really, really poor. Um, their, their record in the playoffs is shocking. Um, this is why I've never had much faith in, in Dallas in the playoffs because it always gets too much. And we joke about... Jerry Jones and coming on the field and 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 talking to the kicker, but that's the sort of stuff that he does that does have an impact. I'm not going to sit here and say that it doesn't because it does. It absolutely does. They must. I bet you he's in the locker room after the game talking to all the players. Mike McCarthy must be sat there thinking, "What am I even doing here? Why am I even here?" Because you seem to want to run the team, and until he has the ability to step back and say, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop giving radio interviews every Monday morning. I'm gonna stop speaking to the press. I'm gonna stop making it seem like it's my." team in terms of management, I'm going to let the actual coach do that, then they're, they're always going to be hamstrung because Jerry Jones won't leave it alone and he won't be able to stop pretending like this is his team that he wants to coach as well. Um, and until he can do that, the Dallas, this Dallas team won't go anywhere. Dak, uh, Dak Prescott has the second highest cap hit amongst quarterbacks next season with um, just shy of $50 million, which they're obviously going to chop and change. That you know They'll get rid of some of that. It won't be that much, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure they will do some cap magic to bring that number down. But that's $50 million for a guy that's won two playoff games. Um, 
you know, and, and cannot get beyond the divisional round. And you look at the rest of the roster, you know, like you mentioned, the Amari Cooper trade. That trade was a salary dump. They needed to get rid of his salary and they gave, was it a fifth rounder you, the, the Cleveland gave up for him? That's that's shocking. Like Amari Cooper was the best receiver on that roster. Like obviously CD Lamb's come forward and he's now excellent, but that's all they've got. You know, man mark CD Lamb and add some safety help to that. And then who else are they going to throw it to? Dalton Schultz. Well, remember to put two feet in bounds, Dalton, because that didn't go too well last night, did it? <laughs> you enjoyed that way too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dalton Schultz, another one of those that's a free agent. Um, Anthony Brown, one of the, the sort of corners that's had a pretty good season. I mean, Cooper Rush is a free agent. I mean, you know, wouldn't think too much of that, but Cooper Rush has been playing on essentially, you know, the minimum salary. He's proved when he's played that he's been able to win games. So, you know, will somebody take. A little bit of a punt on Cooper Rush, or will the Cowboys have to pay a bit more of a premium to get him back as a quality backup to to Dak Prescott? We mentioned Tony Pollard, um, so yeah, and, and Jonathan Haskins as well. Uh, Hankins, sorry, and um, the big defensive tackle. He's another one to keep an eye on because he's again another big contributor that's also going to hit free agency. So plenty of stuff that they need to do. Let's see they turn their attention to the game then that's obviously coming up and. You know, it is the one seed versus the two seed. It really does feel like the real cream of the NFC side of it. It's felt like that all season, hasn't it? That the NFC probably not as deep in terms of the the sort of stacked sort of level of the teams at the top end. Obviously, it was sort of a you know a shame if you like that the the Vikings. I saw that stat the weekend. I'm sure you boys saw it at all. If they flipped every one game, every game that finished by one score, what the standings in the league would look like. And the Minnesota Vikings would have finished 16th in the NFC. It's <laughs> just absolutely unbelievable. Um, so that's possibly why it didn't feel as strong on the NFC side overall. But these two certainly are a class above. And, and, and it's absolutely the match that the neutral would have wanted to see. It is going to be Brock Purdy, I think, for definite this weekend. I'll say for definite because I pointed out um, to the group. And I think we'd all sort of, sort of forgotten about it because it's been so long now that Jimmy G never actually went on to IR. So Jimmy G apparently is now out of the walking boot and he's, he's sort of approaching a plane return if required. Um, but, you know, I think he would probably go to the bench in all honesty. Um, but obviously that's one to monitor. But obviously it's a really intriguing matchup, isn't it? Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel and George Kittle against that, 40, against that Eagles defence. And we've obviously just talked about how dominant the, the the San Francisco 49ers defense has been, particularly like I say, shutting down that Dallas running game to the tune of just you know less than 50 yards of 16 carries for the two running backs, and how dominant the Eagles have been in the ground. So Steve, it's like you say, it was it was a case of um, you know probably no real good scenario for you to either get your you, you know your arch rivals all these 49ers juggernaut, but it is the 49ers, mate. Um, what a game we've got in prospect. That's what makes me really excited is that is it is going to be one hell of a game because since about week four, these have been the obvious two best, well, maybe a bit longer for San Francisco, but these are definitely the two standout teams in the NFC. I don't think there's any doubt about it. For the last sort of six, seven, eight weeks in the league, you, you thought these two are the two that you'd want to meet in the championship game. And lo and behold, here we have it. And I think it's it's such a it's such an exciting matchup, such an intriguing matchup. That they're, they're both such good rosters, they've both got such strengths in in they they almost offset each other so well. 
like the Eagles run game is one of the best in the league because you never know where it's coming from. Is it going to, you know, is Jalen Hurts going to tuck and run? Is it going to be an RPO player where he doesn't hand it off and then he runs himself? Is it going to be put in the in the belly of Miles Sanders or Boston Scott or Kenny Gainwell? You know, the, the run game comes from all over. But the San Francisco rushing defence is so good. We talked about their linebacker player. We talked about their defensive line. You know, they have these players that can that can stop the rush and, and they, they eliminated Dallas's rush. Whilst I think that the Eagles rush is better than Dallas's, you know, coming up against this San Francisco team is going to be a real test. And the one thing I am nervous about, and I've said it before, is that this Eagles team has not come up against a team of San Francisco's calibre all season. You know, a lot of people talk about the Eagles' strength of schedule this season. The, the best team that the Eagles probably played this year outside of Dallas and New York, who ended up both being in the playoffs, was probably the Vikings in week two. You know, they played the, the Cardinals, maybe, the Packers, maybe. Um, you know, apart from that, they didn't really play any any teams that are, that are left in the playoffs. And so this is going to be a real test of how good this Eagles team is and whether or not it's just their, you know, beating up on on, on lower-ranked teams. Um, but then you flip it over to the, to the other side of the ball, like, I think they will go with Brock Purdy, um, regardless of whether or not Jimmy G's fit to go or not. Like Brock Purdy's won eight in a row, as I said earlier, and it, it brings back maybe not memories because I don't think I remember it myself. But back in two thousand and two, a certain team went with Tom Brady over a uh, a quarterback that had been injured for the rest of the season and he'd been there for his uh, for his um, rookie season, and look how that worked out for them. So you've got to go with the hot hand. You're not going to take the ball away from Brock Purdy. Even if he's not playing his best ball, he has still won eight in a row. So I don't think there's any way they're going away from him. If I had to pick something that I was slightly confident about, I think it's the Eagles' pass rush. I think you look at Hassan Reddick has been, I think there's a case for him being Defensive Player of the Year. He's been outstanding this season. Some of his ability to rush the passer is excellent. Eagles were the only team this year and have been the only team in NFL history to have four separate rushes with 10 plus sacks just never happened before. So that shows how multidimensional this pass rush is and how many different guys they can get to attack the quarterback. So that would be where I've got a little bit of confidence. Get him, get him flustered, get him out of the pocket, get him you know, trying to make a play on the run. And that might be where the Eagles can pick up some interceptions or some, some fumbles, that sort of thing. And one final thing that I saw is that Brock Purdy's record away from home, his college career, his record away from home was something like 10 and 26 like he's not great away from home, and his two wins in the playoffs so far have been in 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 Levi Stadium in San Francisco. Let's get him in that in that um, fire pit of the link on us on a Sunday afternoon with with sixty thousand Philadelphians who are prepared to jump off um, vans into the crowd and throw snowballs at Santa, and let's get him in that vitriol and see how he handles that. Because I genuinely think the crowd could have an impact. Um, again, this is one of those situations where I think if you're Philadelphia, if you win the toss. Put San Francisco out there. Tell them, okay, you show us how, what you're going to do. See if Brock Birdie can handle that noise because that is going to be vitriolic on Sunday night. But yeah, really exciting game. Really looking forward to it. I think it could go either way. At the moment, I think the Eagles are favoured. I think it's uh, Eagles minus two at the moment, which surprises me. Maybe it's home field advantage. That might be it because I do think that San Francisco are the better team. And had this been Jimmy G or maybe even Trey Lance, I think this would be a San Francisco favouring and I'd probably be expecting a loss. But I just you just can't write them off. This Eagles team have been so good all season. Uh, it's I, I can't call it. I'm I'm really excited for it. Really looking forward to it. And I just hope they don't crumble under the pressure of a really good team. Yeah, it's got a got the makings of a classic, Josh. Absolutely. Um, we've said from the very we said for what the last six weeks that the Eagles and the 49ers are the best two teams in the NFC. 
and it's definitely held true. The Eagles have the Eagles have just been able to comfortably go along, like you've said, Steve. The issue being as to whether or not, you know, whether or not they've got that experience against the tougher teams, of which will be in it, especially that San Francisco defense. You know, what happens when the Eagles can't run it? the way that they like, and you know that the 49ers are going to be able to plug that, so it's going to have to be more trust in the air game. That's going to be interesting on that side. On the other side, you've got Brock Purdy, who I think his issue yesterday was coming up against the pass rush, so you've got that against an Eagles defense that can bring it. So, you know, you've got two really nice nullifying forces it's going to be about which which offense can get past that and also which defense isn't sleeping at the wheel because as much as i'd like to say you know that defenses usually are consistent week in week out we saw that in the bengals bills game that sometimes it's not built the same so First of all, make sure that both of those are firing, and then it's about which offense can get past um, get past that immovable force. Um, probably the but both of these games actually are almost too close to call, which is great. You know, this is what you actually want at this stage in the season, and it felt like for a number of years now we've not really had that uncertainty at this stage. So it's actually really exciting. To, I mean, not for Steve. Yeah, this is awful for Steve. But, you know, from a neutral perspective, for the people that don't get into championship games, you know, it's... (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I have to represent at some point. Um, But, you know, for, for, for the neutral, it's really exciting to have two games where it's anyone's guess. You know, the the money could be all over the shop and it could come down to something ridiculous. I've been riding on the San Francisco 49ers just because it has far too much of an element of Nick Foles in Philadelphia to it, where the incredibly like unknown comes in, steals the show, you know, picks up the baton, steals the show, and then would never be seen again, pretty much. That's what Brock Purdy looks like to me. And the irony of the Eagles falling to that is the kind of headline that I feel like the NFL writes once in a blue moon. Yeah, no, I completely agree, mate. I understand your, your logic and your thought process. I mean, we'll, we'll obviously preview the Super Bowl in full once we've got the matchup confirmed, but just to sort of highlight how close these teams are, the Chiefs at the minute 5-2 to two, and the Eagles 5-2 to two for the Super Bowl, the Bengals 13-5 to five, and the 49ers 13-5. to five. That's just with one bookmaker that I'm looking at. So it just shows you just how close it is. So absolutely unbelievable stuff. Fellas, let's put you on the spot. Let's get you a prediction from each game uh, to close out this week. We'll obviously be back next week to break it all down. Uh, so Josh, let's start with you, mate. Who wins the two games this weekend? Bengals 49ers. Steve? I, it genuinely could be either, either of any of the four. Like I genuinely think it could be. That's you, not the question. Coin flip of either, but I'm I'm going to go with Bengals because of Mahomes' injury and the Eagles. Okay, uh, is it strange that none of us are picking the Kansas City Chiefs? That feels disrespectful, doesn't it's, it? But I'm, it, I'm, I'm, I'm I was expecting one of you two to. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I really the was. 
I'm going to go with the Bengals. I just think they've had their number, and like I said, that, that to me is almost irrelevant of Mahomes' injury. It's just just seems to be one of those matchups that they've just got that sort of hoodoo on them at this moment in time. Um, and I think they'll scheme another good game. So I'm going to go for the Bengals to get the job done on the road. And I'm going to agree with Josh. I think I've just been on this 49ers bandwagon for a little while now. But again, as Steve was alluding to, they really could go any way. Um, really looking forward to them. Sunday, doubleheader, 8 o'clock, 11 o'clock or 11.30, something like that. So it'll be another late night, but hopefully well worth staying up into the early hours of the morning. We've rattled on much longer than I anticipated tonight, fellas, considering we only had four games to review and a couple to preview. Um, <laughs> but obviously it's it's that important and exciting time of the season, isn't it, where the uh, the real cream of the crop starts to rise. As I say, we'll be back next week to break it all down. Make sure you check out the betting podcast later in the week and the Go For Two Boys if you like getting your content in audio form. Um, and we will be back, as I said, next week to review the division, uh, the championship games, and we'll speak to you then. 